Thank you for listening to the weekly messages of New Providence Primitive Baptist Church. To subscribe to our podcast, hear other messages, or learn more about us, please visit nppbc.com. these up on YouTube? Yep. Alright, so you can go to YouTube, nppbc.com and look it up. If you missed last night, uh, I'd encourage you to look it up and uh, get in on the ground floor. Yeah, he's on a mission. (laughs) Don't interrupt that one. Turn with us tonight to the second chapter of Revelations. Second chapter of Revelations. We made it through uh, the first church last night. We had, uh, I think, a good introduction uh, to chapter one, and uh, that kind of lays the groundwork for the the entire book. And so we're going to try to, as quickly as we can, tackle the other six churches tonight and maybe even take a peek into the future. So uh, if you weren't with us last night, just a quick note. Verse number 19 of chapter number 1 gives us the outline of the book. What John was told to do was to write the things that was, are, and will be hereafter. Past, present, and future. Chapter number 1 is the past, and John recorded for us the, the exalted Christ, the ascended Christ, the one who died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended back to the Father. That was past tense. John saw that happen in days gone by, and he reported that in chapter number 1. Chapter number 2, the Spirit of God bid John to write these words. Now, if you have your Bibles open, you'll notice that chapters 2 and 3, for the most part, are red letters giving us a clear indication that it was the Lord speaking directly to the Apostle John uh, for the next two chapters. Um, The the power in the churches or the message to the churches is, is evident, I think, as we look at these, but it's also relevant. Uh, A couple of things as we begin to look again at, at the churches tonight was Uh, There were some things that were common about how, or maybe we should call it the format of of the letters to the churches, but they were common. And uh, one of those things was, is in the introduction of the letters to each one of the churches, there is a snippet of him, the exalted Christ. Uh, in all of the different attributes that were shared about the glorified Christ in chapter number one, you'll find in each one of these letters as it's introduced, and one of those attributes being displayed. Uh, and I don't think it's random. I think as we look at each one of those, that they are applicable to each one of those churches and their needs. So pay attention to that as we get there. 
The other thing you'll notice about the seven churches is that, and I'll give the exceptions, but for the most part, each of the seven churches received commendation, which was a thumbs up, and they also received condemnation, which was thumbs down. There were some things they were doing right, and then there were some things they were doing wrong, and the Lord addressed both of them. He acknowledged what they were doing that was right, but he also dealt with the sin that was present. Now, the only exceptions to this, uh, number one, there were two churches that received no condemnation. They only received from the Lord Christ commendation. Does anybody remember which two churches those were? Smyrna was one of them. And Philadelphia, number six. So number two and number six. And we're going to start with Smyrna tonight. So I wanted to point that out that when, you, when we read through this first letter or this second letter actually to the church in Smyrna, well, I want you to notice that they didn't receive any condemnation. Jesus found nothing wrong with this church. And he addressed only what he saw that they were doing well. And he commended them for it. Uh, the last thing, or one of the last things is also that, uh, well, I'll also mention that was, there was one church that received no commendation, only condemnation. And that's the last church, Amen. the Laodicean church, which uh, we'll get to tonight, I hope. So, uh, and then lastly, in all of these letters, he finishes the letters by saying, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. And so, just a reminder today, we, uh, and I'm talking to the, this body generally speaking, we the saved of God today are the church of Jesus Christ. And each one of these seven churches represent a condition of the church worldwide all the time. So in that day, there were seven churches and there were seven different spiritual conditions within those seven churches. Now, there was a lot more than seven churches, but these are representative of the conditions churches are in even today. So as we look through all seven of these churches, we're reminded that you could be one of these churches. And so it was a compelling thought last night, I hope, to everyone um, Greg was telling me, you know, we were repenting over the fact that we don't want to be that first church. Um, it was clear that when he got on to them about having left their first love, that was a very serious indictment to that church. They had left their relationship. They were doing and doing and doing well. And they were doing all the good stuff they were supposed to be doing, but they were doing it without love. They were doing it without Christ. And he told them, repent, or I will remove the candlestick from among you. And remember, the candlestick represented the Spirit of God. Amen. And certainly, listen, certainly there are churches in this country, in this world, that when you walk into them, they may be orthodoxy in their practices, but they may just be as cold as a morgue. The Spirit of God may not be present. And friend, if that's the case, they have left their first love. So that's the condition of the churches. Number two, those churches or that particular condition can also be a personal one. 
As a matter of fact, it is a personal one. If the church is guilty of it, it's because its members are guilty of it. And the way that we change that is we repent. I repent for me. And if I find in what we're studying tonight myself guilty or convicted by what it is the Holy Spirit of God has given John to write to each of these churches, then I have a responsibility to repent personally. So these letters can apply to us personally, not to just a body of believers, but they can apply to me personally. The seven churches also represent seven periods of time throughout the church history. Now, some of you good Bible scholars, tell me when church when the church began. When did the church begin? The ascension of Christ. Yep. Uh, actually, right after that, one week after that, the Bible says it this way, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that's when the Holy Spirit of God came down and they began to preach and people began to get saved. And that, as we know it, was the beginning of the church. And it happened just after the ascension of Christ and he told them to go and wait in the upper room and they did. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Holy Spirit of God came down and he's been down here ever since. And he's been saving and making churches ever since. And this, friend, we live in the church age. So one of the reasons we're going to try to be so careful as we go through these seven churches is because these churches represent the now. The now. As we move into chapters 4 through 22, that will be the future. Those are things to come. So we have to be careful tonight that we... We don't pull stuff from then and try to apply it to today. It does not apply. It's a different time. We're living in the church age. You say, how long will the church age be? Don't know. But I know when it will end. The church age will end at the coming of Jesus Christ, at the rapture of the church. Because what will happen at the rapture? Well, I don't let me get my head of myself right. That's what all of you want me to do. Hurry up, get over there. When the rapture of the church takes place, friend, the church is removed from this earth. And that ends the church age. Some of you will be surprised to know that people get saved during the tribulation. Well, that was the purpose of it. Wait, you didn't know God saves? It's what he has always done. Do they deserve it? Those that get saved during the tribulation will be saved because they believed in Jesus Christ and his shed blood for their sins. Plenty of scriptures that prove this. Isn't it just like God to save? His purpose in the tribulation is to save Israel. He made that clear in Romans 6, Romans 7, right? Paul said it like this. He said, why, if he could graft you wild olives in, just think what he'll do with his own. Just think how he'll graft the true vine right back into the, the true branches right back into the true vine. So don't be alarmed about that. It's God's purposes to save, friend. That's friend from Adam and Eve until now. Don't think that the tribulation is different. However, tribulation is different in this way. God's judgment will be poured upon the earth. And anybody saved during that time will go through these horrifying events if they're not murdered first. Amen. Amen. 
don't know about you, I'm, I'm glad I'm saved. I don't want to be a part of that. You don't have to be a part of that. Right? That's the message tonight is the church won't be a part of that. Right? And there's plenty of plenty of Bible to uh, back that up. So that's what makes this such a compelling study uh, for all of us tonight is that, that we are the church. So we need to pay attention to what we learn about these seven churches because it's applicable to each one of us personally. It's applicable to our church families, and it's applicable, applicable as a church age. The first church, the church in Ephesus, they had terrific orthodoxy. They did a lot of stuff right. They were doing and doing and doing, but a great number of them left out God somewhere along the way, and all they were doing was going through the motions. They left their first love, and he challenged them, repent of this wickedness, or I will remove the lampstand from among you. And that's a very, very serious thing. Now, as far as church ages go, the church at Ephesus represents a time period that we call the apostolic church. It was from the day of Pentecost up through about 95 AD, which is about the time that John was receiving this revelation from him. So that was the apostolic church. That brings us tonight to church number two. You'll find it in verse number eight. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna. Now let me stop right there and correct myself. Uh, as I was introducing the first church last night and speaking about the angel, who is the angel of the church? In my little brain, which is very challenged, in my little brain, the, the Greek word presbyteros was stuck in my mind because I was thinking about chapter 4 and the elders, right? Those are the representatives, the ambassadors. I used the wrong, I called them, um, I called them, I don't even remember what I called them last night, but I used the wrong term. The Greek term for angel is angelos, which actually means messenger. And as I was saying that last night, I glanced over at Danny and he was saying messenger. <laughs> and I thought, why didn't I just listen to Danny? I, I was like completely off course. Um, who's the messengers to the church? The pastors typically are the messengers to the church. They're the ones given the under-shepherd duties to bring the message of God to the flock of God. And that responsibility, I believe, is laid directly upon them. And that term, when you find it in each one of these letters, it is written unto the angel of the church. And in this particular situation, it was written unto the angel of the church of Smyrna. So to the pastor, this letter was written, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know that works and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall come, shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Church number two is the persecuted church. Even more, um, more specifically, this is the martyred church. The church of Smyrna represents a great number of churches in those days that went through horrific persecution. 
persecution to the extent that many of them lost their lives. Uh, let me see if I can find my notes on church number two because uh, when we read about church number two, the, the place geographically is actually within Turkey. Asia Minor basically is, is Turkey. And it's just different places, some on the seacoast, some on the middle sections, and up and north and south. But it's basically around Turkey. And Izmir is what it's called today. The interesting thing about the two churches that received no condemnation, both of them still exist. All the others are gone. Right? You can go to where they were, but they as a city don't exist anymore. Smyrna still exists. Are there still Christians in Smyrna? I'm told there are. But they're in hiding. They're still persecuted in Smyrna. They're still persecuted. Uh, what we find in uh, this particular point of time was that there was a there was a, a massive amount of persecution that came upon the church because of the Roman Empire. The time period that this existed was from about 100 A.D. to 313 A.D. And during that time period, you basically have the most wicked Roman rulers that ever walked the face of the earth. And these men, each one of them, their, their life's mission was to find every Christian and to kill them, torture them, burn them alive at the stake, throw them in coliseums, feed them to lions, make sport of them, make money on them. All of these things were done during the Smyrna church age, the martyred church now, I told you last night that, that there were two churches that received only commendation and no condemnation. And I also told you that there's one of them I'd like to be and the other one I'd just soon not. I don't want to be the church at Smyrna. I'll just be honest with you. I don't know anybody that wants persecution or that would like to face martyrdom every time that they go and worship. But this church did. This church did. I like how he introduced himself to this church. What he said was, is these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. You know, that's a great thing to be sharing with people who are facing death because they love Christ. And you know what he told them? He said, hey, I was dead. Not anymore. And the last thing he told them well, as he that hath an ear, let him hear. But he said, he that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. He told them twice, don't worry about death. That's not a big deal. Right? He said, I know you're suffering. That's what he told them. He said, I know you're suffering. Isn't it good that he knows our circumstances? He knows just exactly what we're going through and he knows why. He knows our heart as we're going through it. He knows our opposition. He knows everything that's being done for us and to us. Jesus Christ knew exactly what the church of Smyrna was going through for his name's sake. And I'll tell you right now, he honored them. He honored them. He was saying to the church of Smyrna, I got you. I'm, I'm not telling you you're coming out of the persecution or that you'll be able to avoid the persecution if you love me. He said, but what I do want you to know is don't be afraid of the persecution. You realize that many of those that were martyred did so rejoicing. I know that's hard for us to grasp, isn't it? 
right? Because we've been free all of our lives. We've never had to fight for the opportunity to worship. We've never had to hide in fear for our own lives. These people did. Remember when they, they had beat James and Peter and John and said, don't you dare go preach Jesus. You know what they did? They went out of there shouting and praising God and immediately they began to preach again. You say, how can that be? Let me be clear. When people are persecuted for Christ, they're not persecuted alone. That's right. Amen. The Holy Spirit of God, I believe, rises up within one who is suffering such persecution in a magnified and a glorified way. They marched into the Colosseums knowing that the lions would be turned loose very soon. And they did so rejoicing in their God. That shames me. Yeah. But I also believe this. If I ever face such persecution, that same Holy Spirit that stood with them will stand with me. The church of Smyrna was a persecuted church. He made a very interesting statement, and I had to get some help with trying to understand what this statement would mean. But he said, uh, hang in there, because you've got ten more days to go. What he, what he meant was, is ten more rulers. As this one began, it was Nero. And we remember with Nero, he was eccentric and a madman. He was the one that would impale them on a post and hang them up while alive, cover them with oil, and light them afire so that he would have light in the courtyard. Now that's what he did to Jewish human beings. He was a madman. But he was only one. There would be nine more after him. And those ten Roman rulers represent those ten days. The Lord said to him, hang in there. You got ten more. He said, but don't be afraid of death. I got that part. Don't you worry. He said, I know your works. I know what you're going through. I know everything that's going on. And yep, they're going to cast you in prison. Yep, it's going to cost you everything. But you know what he said? He said, I know your poverty. Did you know that during that time, from 100 to 313 AD, it was illegal to be a Christian? And if you were a Christian, if you were a rich man, you just forfeited all of your wealth. Guess who it went to? Rome, of course. If you were a Christian, they were... They had the legal right by the emperor to take all of your earthly possessions. So there were no rich people, hear me, no rich people in Smyrna. But you know what the Lord said? He said, I know your poverty. I know that you've lost everything that you had to serve me. He said, but let me, let me say this, you're rich. He told them in advance, he said, you millionaires. You're rich beyond compare. There was a crown, he said. There's a crown, and it's just out there. It's just out there. Does the church of Smyrna still exist? I've never been to underground China and worshipped with them poor folks, but they worship, baby. They do. And they do in danger of their lives every day, right now, in 2020. Go to Pakistan and find a home church that believes in Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, and you will find a people that do so in danger of their own lives. Does the church of Smyrna exist today? Absolutely it exists. It just don't exist in America. 
And we can't even get all of you to come to church. Don't be meddling, preacher. That's what I do. Amen. We can't even get you to be faithful to God. We can't even get you to, to 100% sell out to Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, and live for him seven days a week. Amen. Amen. Don't talk to me about wanting to be a church that only has commendation if you ain't willing to pay the price. Because I'll tell you right now, it'll cost you to serve God. There wasn't no riffraff in these churches. Amen. Uh-uh. There wasn't no Sunday morning Christians in these churches. You hear what I'm saying? There wasn't no spectators in these. You weren't a part of these churches unless you loved Jesus with all your heart. Amen. You ain't going to die for something you don't love fully. That's what's wrong with the American church, by the way. Yeah. Amen. We have no persecution. I know that makes people uncomfortable, but it's the truth. It is. It's the truth. The reason you treat church just as if I take it or leave it, if I feel like it, I will. If I don't, I won't. The reason you do that is because ain't nobody ever tested your faith. Amen. But there may come a day, and it may be in this country, that somebody points a gun at you and says, you can't go to church no more, and you'll have to make a choice. That's right. Amen. Some of you struggling right now with what you will do. Somebody trying to figure it out right now whether you, wait a minute. I mean, they, 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 they put all my family in jail. They tortured my wife a bunch. Yep. What you going to do then? You thought Smyrna was going to be an easy one, right? Because it wasn't a church in America. I'll tell you right now. You better wake up and figure out whose side you really want to be on. That's right. Amen. Now, if you've been born again, I know this much. The rapture of the church will take you out of here. But you will stand before God and give an account for your sin. And your life lived for Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you right now, he knows who's done it half-heartedly and who has not. Amen. The modern church was rocking. They were powerful. You know why? Because they were persecuted. There was nobody in that church that was not 100% sold out to Jesus Christ. Live or die. And Jesus said, I know you. I know just what you're going through. Hang in there. They persecuted me. They killed me. But I didn't stay dead, and you won't either. Amen. Don't fear the second death. That brings us to church number three. Church number three. I'll read it for us. Verse number 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. What's the sharp sword with two edges? The word of God. Mm, I'm getting a feeling these people fixing to get a scold in them. Right? Remember, he introduces himself, and these attributes that are introduced in the first verse of the letter often indicate his position toward this church. He comes right out of the gate and said, Here come the word of God at you, and it's sharp. He intends to do some cutting. 
I know thy works, verse number 13, and where thou dwellest. Even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name. That's commendation. And hast not denied my faith. Commendation. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Commendation. But, verse 14, but I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balaam to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Verse 16, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat the hidden man, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. The church in Pergamum, or Pergamos, was an important religious center for several pagan cults. Um, Ephesus was a, a political center Smyrna was a, a big place, and for Rome at the time, it was, a, it was a, a financial sector. And here we come to Pergamos, which was a city way up on a hill. And on that hill were an enormous number of temples and shrines and altars that were built to multiple pagan gods. Now, according to the Holy Spirit here, Jesus was telling the church at Pergamum, that the, the devil's headquarters was in Pergamos. Right? He said, let me tell you, he said, I know where you're at. I know what you're up against, he said, because the devil's seat's right among you. Now, you, you ever thought that the devil lived at your house? Let, let me be clear, he probably didn't. But he does dwell somewhere. At this particular point, it was in Pergamos. Now, some speculate that it was because the altar of Zeus was there. Zeus was the chief of those mythical gods. He was the highest of gods among the gods, and he controlled the gods, and they worshipped Zeus in that time. But it wasn't just Zeus. They had multiple shrines and temples. That, that uh, It was the religious epicenter. That's what uh, Pergamos was. And there was so much Satan worship that was going on in Pergamos that the Lord, obviously knowing where Satan did headquarter, he said, he lives among you. I know that, he said. I recognize your circumstances. I understand that you are up against it because you are dwelling in a city where Satan actually dwells. Personally, he, Satan is there. I know where his throne is, and he said it's in purpose. And the Lord said to them, I know this. Again, isn't it good that he knows our circumstance? Amen. He knew what the church of Pergamos was facing. Now, as far as the time frame goes, you'll find that the church of Pergamos existed likely between 313, 318 A.D. all the way up to 590 A.D., so almost 300 years there. Um, the church in, in Pergamos was a worldly church. 
he commended them for several good things. He said, you, you've kept my name. Um, you hold us fast, my name, is what he said. You, you've not denied the faith. And he said, even when there was martyrdom among you, you stuck with it. You, you held fast to it. And to this he commended them. He said, however, he said, there is a problem among you. And the first one that he named was the doctrine of Balaam. Now, the doctrine of Balaam, uh, he specifically tells us that this particular problem was when Balaam told Balak to tell the children of Israel that it's okay to bring the Moabite women in unto them and to marry and to intermarry. And what the Moabite women brought in with them was what? gods and then began idol worship. The doctrine of Balaam under Balak was idol worship. It was basically bringing the world into the church. And the Lord said, I got a few things against you. Number one, you are bringing the world into the church. Anybody believe that's going on today? Amen. Bringing the world into the church, specifically pagan ritualistic worship. You're allowing things to come into the church that have no part in the church of Jesus Christ. We need to be careful as individuals and church bodies that we make certain that what is in the church is of the church. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that we exclude the world because the truth is the world needs to be saved. We need to invite all the unsaved, all those that are unbelievers to come into the house of God. But when they come into the house of God, it should not be like going to the last night's concert. It should be like entering into the presence of the holy God. Amen. And worship takes place, right? We have no need of the world in the church. And he called them out. He said it won't work. There will be swift punishment if this isn't cleaned up. It can't work, you see. You can't, you can't have concord between Christ and Belial, the Apostle Paul would say. There's, there's, no, there's no fellowship there. There's no union. There's no relationship that exists between the world and the church of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he'd go as far to say as if you love the world, then you hate me. Amen. The church here uh, in Pergamos was inviting the world in. They were right dead in the middle of the satanic influences of the known world of that day, and yet they were letting it affect them. They were being influenced by the worldly condition that they lived in and was around. Let me be clear. I don't, it doesn't make any difference how many presidents we have or senators or congressmen or Supreme Court justices that rule and say it is okay for same-sex marriage to go on. It will never be right. And it has no place in the church. Period. And I ain't picking on just that. 
There's a hundred other sinful, ungodly, worldly observed rituals that have no place in the church of Jesus Christ. And if we let them in, he will also have to deal with us. Now, it might not be in your church, but it might be in you. Amen. Remember that these are representative of you too. You personally may be letting the cultural influences of our day come into your house. You may be letting the cultural influences of the world today affect your own thoughts toward God. And if it is, the warning is the same. You better repent and get clean of these things for the world has no place in the church. He also said that he hated the Nicolaitans. I'm not positive what the Nicolaitans were. However, it had something to do with with being separate from um, what what some said was um, clergy influence where ritualistic customs and practices began to be observed as opposed to relationship-oriented worship with Jesus Christ, right? So they were simply losing their control, like the church at Ephesus who was doing good. This church was kind of losing their bearings as pertained to the world and Christ, and the world was slipping in on them, and they started following rituals within their own services. And pretty soon, if you're not careful in that particular deal, you'll end up without the Spirit again. He that hath an ear, let him hear to him that overcometh. Will I give to you the hidden manna? You know, in, in this particular thing, God's saying all you got to do is repent. All you got to do is clean up this mess. Get the world out of the church, right? Turn from that wickedness. And there's hidden manna, right? There's a, there's a white stone with your name on it. All of those things, things that will come to us when we receive the reward and enter into heaven. But to get there, you're going to have to, you're going to have to do what needs to be done in your own heart. That brings us to church number four. Church number four. John's fourth letter is for the church at Thyatira. The letter begins on a positive note with Christ commending the church for its love, faith, service, and perseverance. But John's tone quickly turns. He condemns the Thyatiran church for having tolerated the sin of a wicked woman in its midst. She was seducing other believers into immorality and encouraging pagan practices. Because the woman had not repented, she faced the judgment of the Lord, and if the church continued to tolerate her, it would share in her judgment. The letter to Thyatira is a powerful reminder that God demands purity in his church. The church in Thyatira, uh, the the note I've got on that one, church number four, is that it existed from 590 to 1517. All right, if you do the math there, that's almost 1,000 years that the, third, the church of Thyatira is thought to have held the church age. 1,000 years. Does anybody know what occurred between 590 and 1517? We refer to it as the Dark Ages. Roman Catholicism 
took its root. That's where it began, right? And that's why it was so dark. A lot to be said here. Romanism, the Dark Ages, popes, and the Catholic Church. It's during this era that the church was firmly established, not only as a church, but the church was established as a state. The leadership. Note that this era spans almost a thousand years. Here's what he said as he introduced the book. Let me just read. And unto the angel of the church in thy tower write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Both of those indicating that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Twice. Judgment is coming to you. I know thy works and thy charity. Now that word charity, if you look up that word, that's, that's love. Truly, that's love. That's the same word that's in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Above all these, charity. You know what? The Lord said, you got charity. Right? Be careful that you don't condemn the Catholic Church right out the gate. Because let me say, I ain't got to the Protestant Church yet, and it's in trouble too. It's in here. But let's talk about the Catholic Church. He said, I see your charity. Your love. I see your faith. I see your works. I see your service. I see your patience. And again, he mentions works again. I see your works. They're increasing. And the last to be more than the first. Verse number 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. Alright? So now he's going he's to refer back to the sins of Jezebel. Everybody remember who Jezebel was in the times of Elijah the prophet. And, and, and Jezebel was, was the wife of Ahab the king in the northern province. And uh, Jezebel was wicked. She worshipped Baal. And everything she wanted was to kill the servants of God and to exalt Baal. And she had hundreds of prophets of Baal. Remember Elijah killed 400 of them in his contest alone. Jezebel brought in pagan ritualistic worship. It is during the Dark Ages that was introduced into this time period into the church. What was introduced was masses, the worship of the virgin and the child, indulgences for sins committed. The elite pope or papacy to where the pope not only was a religious ruler but he was by the state a leader. The church was not just a church. It was the state. The church ruled the people. And we find that these ritualistic practices that were observed during this time became more and increased having nothing to do with God and all to do with ritual. Be careful if ritual is your worship. If all it is is repetition and um, well, I'll just leave it at that. If all it is is repetition you better search and find out where the worship is. Because what he said to them was I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the... Whoop, wrong one. 
Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things offered unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. The condemnation concerning Jezebel was in every way a warning to not just the church through the dark ages, but to that same church if it exists today. And I'm pretty certain it still exists today. There's still a pope. And and within that particular uh, denomination, there is still a hierarchy. And that is the leader. And I'm not anybody's judge, but something's not right there. During this time, personal faith in Christ was replaced by rituals. The mass became the ordinary ritual for worship. Purgatory became a positive doctrine. Power and rulership was given to the Pope, and indulgences allowed instead of repentance. His judgments are severe, and the rest of us need to wake up and pay attention. Roman Catholicism is not 100% wrong, according to him. I didn't say that. He did. He said, I see you, charity. I see your works. I see your faith. I see your patience. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say it again. He said, I see your works. I see those good things that you're trying to do. He said, but you've got a serious problem. And except you repent, there'll be a serious consequence. Judgment. Judgment is coming. What he said and alluded to in this particular church was, is he said, you will end up in that great tribulation. Which means that that church is not saved. Now, I'm not saying everybody within the Catholic denomination is not saved. I'm saying if you're not saved and you're a part of that, you can be certain that he has already made the judgment the great tribulation, you will go through that because you're unsaved. You're an unbeliever. Very dangerous. Now, that's Roman Catholicism. Let's look at letter number, well, that takes us to chapter number three. Letter number five to the church in Sardis. Now, this is the Protestant church. This is the age of the Protestant church. Remember, what I said was is um, the time frame of the Catholic church, the Romanism church, was from 500 and something to 1500 and something, a thousand years. But about 1517 until 1800. All right, now, now we're getting closer to us. 1517 to 1800. Does anybody know what that period of time is referred to? You ever heard of the Reformation? That's it. Okay, that's the Church of Sardis. That's where it began to shift. That's when Martin Luther went to the door of the Catholic Church and nailed his 95 theses on the wall and said, Here I stand. You've been lying to us. This is the truth. Right? And so was born the Protestant Church. 
And that's where we have those Protestant reformers like Martin Luther and John Knox and John Calvin and John Wesley. Well, there were a bunch of Johns back then. But, but they were giants among men because they stood against Catholicism. And from it was born the Baptist, the Presbyterian, the Lutheran, the, the uh, Methodist, uh, and others, right, were, were formed from that Reformation. And it was a time when, when, they were, when they were taking back the Word of God. And they were saying, no more of this purgatory and these indulgences and, and this pope, papal leadership. And they were taking back the Word of God. And it was a reformation. It was a reforming of the mindset of, of people that wanted to believe and would believe in Christ. And so it was a time of enlightenment. But the Protestant church was not perfect. And let me be clear, the Protestant church is still not perfect. Church number five, the Protestant church, he says this, he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The Holy Spirit was present in the Protestant churches, but what he was referring to was himself. He said, I am the Holy Spirit. When he introduced himself to the Sardis church, and unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The Spirit of God is what is introduced to this church. And I believe that there was such a movement of the Spirit of God during this time of Reformation that that's the reason he introduces himself in like manner. But listen to what he says to them. I know thy works that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Now does that sound like a good Baptist church? Let me be clear. I know good Baptist people that say they're living but are Dead. Don't tell me that ain't a Protestant church. There's all kinds of Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Missionary Baptist, Primitive Baptist, just a Baptist. All of there are plenty of people within those churches that say they're Christian, but they are not. Amen. Amen. He nails them right here. He said, I know that works. I know what's going on. He said, I know that, that, that some of you, and he's going to talk about those that, that truly were, were trying to, to get them out of the dark ages through the enlightenment of the Word of God. But he said, you better pay attention. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't have nothing. You can't worship me without the Spirit of God. You say you're alive, but without the Spirit of God, you're not alive. You're dead. I know your works. But he said in verse 2, Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect. I have not found thy works perfect. Right? So, so, so all the Baptist folks that's quick to point at a Catholic bunch, 
Listen, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord saith unto the churches. And guess what he's saying to the Protestant church? You ain't figured it out either. Some of you, I know you works, but then some of you are dead. You don't have the Spirit of God. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're no different than they are. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. And hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I believe he's talking about those reformers. Thank you. I believe he's talking about the Martin Luthers and the John Calvins and the John Wesleys and all those just like him that, that heard that message, believed in Jesus Christ, and sold out to it. I believe that's who he's talking about. He said, I know who they are. I know who they are. He said, but the rest of them, they just went from one bad to a different one because they're still lost. They say they're alive now, but they're not. They're dead because they don't have my spirit. The church in Sardis was the Protestant church. It was the time of the Reformation. But you can attach yourself to get any good church, but that don't make you safe. You can be going through the motions just like the Catholics do. Right? I can say it that way. Just like they go through the motions. You can be going through your own motions and call them emotions. But God knows the difference. God knows who's really His and who is not. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. That's the Protestant church. Now, he, he had some issues with what was going on in the Protestant church. And i got to believe today he's got some issues with what's going on in the Protestant church today. Anybody know what's going on in the Presbyterian church? With their women, lesbian pastors? Yep. Right? It split them. That's it. Right? Presbyterians split. Why? Because there was some of them Presbyterians said, I ain't going for it. Yeah. Right? That's, that's, not, that's not the Bible. And so it got so bad in the Presbyterian church that they split over that deal. You reckon this letter is still applicable? Say it is. Say it is. Just like the other churches, they let the world come in. And now these Protestant churches, some of them getting worse today. Not better. And they're Protestant churches. They're not Catholic churches. That's right. Amen. They're good Presbyterian people that we know and love. And they're all tore up because their own denomination fell out from under them and went with the world. See, this, this is applicable today. 
The church of Sardis is still around. Just like all the other seven churches are still around. And to be clear, one of them is you. You are one of these churches. You are one of these churches. If you're born again, you are one of these churches. Which one are you? That brings us to church number six. I love this church here. We already said that the Philadelphian church was a church with only commendation. The church in Philadelphia, number six, um, one man called the church, the Philadelphian church, the sixth church, uh, which the time frame is from 1800 to 2022. The now. Some called it the missionary church. Some called it the revived church. Um, Another one called it the true church. Regardless, this church received no commendation from the Lord. No condemnation, only commendation. He said this, He that is holy and true, he that hath the key of David, openeth. Let me read it. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Here's what he said to them. He said, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength. That was their assessment of themselves, that they weren't very strong. And hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Does anybody know what he's saying? He is saying to the true church, you will not go through the tribulation. That's right. Read it. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, the time of temptation, the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of the tribulation. I'll keep you from that. Now, this is only one spot that I'm going to share with you that proves we're not going through the tribulation. But this is one of them, right? Right here it is, red letters. He said, if you're my church, he said, if, if, you're, if you're the ones that are the word of my patience, he said, I'm going to keep you from the tribulation. That shall come upon all the world. That's right. That's what he's going to do. But he said, you're not going to be a part of it. Verse 11, behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Now, he's not saying that you can lose your salvation, but he's saying you can lose your reward. Amen. You might miss the tribulation, he said, but mark it down. You best have your stuff in order because you can lose your reward. 
Everybody understands that. John? Also, Tommy, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is one of the verses that references Thessalonians. You get a crown for watching for the return of the, or power of the rapture. Um, now this is also in reference to that. Too. Absolutely. One of the few, right? And there's multiple crowns that are mentioned throughout the New Testament that 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 believers in Jesus Christ will receive if they have run their race. Right? And did you know that not everybody that runs a race wins? That's right. Amen. In the Olympics, they give three medals. And there's probably eight runners. If I remember how many lanes are on a track, I think it's eight, eight lanes. That means that five people got no crown. Did you know that'll happen to you or me? Just because you went to church on Sunday morning every now and then, don't think there's crowns for that too. No, to get a crown, you got to win. Amen. So I got to ask you, how hard are you running? You've been training lately. Been doing any spiritual push-ups? How you doing? Can you see the finish line? Is there 30 people ahead of me? He said, you better, you better press into this so no man takes your crown. Because not everybody will get one, Greg. And I'll tell you right now, you will be sorry if you got no reward. Because when you get to heaven, there ain't but one thing you could have even given him anyway. That's right. And that was your crown. There's not but one thing you could have done to honor him other than fall on your face and worship him with upraised hands and exalted voice for the rest of your living days. And that was your crown. And think if you, you spent all your 40, 50, 70, 80 years on this earth and you get to heaven and didn't win even one. That's that's going to happen. Listen to me. That's going to happen. Yes, it is. Amen. Nothing. Nothing to show for your entire life. But you got to heaven. Pat yourself on the back. He did all that. What did you do? This is the true church. The church of Philadelphia is the true church. It is the church that will not go through the tribulation because it is the bride of Jesus Christ. It has been throughout all ages. This church existed during the church of Ephesus. This church was around during uh, Thyatira and, and Smyrna and Pergamon and all the others. This church has always been around and will always be around. There will always be true believers in Jesus Christ who have sold out to him and are running their race with patience. And we, we really see that church age coming on from about 1800 all the way through now. You know that there's more desire for the word of God across the world than has ever been. We have radio, TV, now we have satellites and, and mobile communications and all kinds of apparatuses to help us receive. And, and the Word of God is going all over the world today. 
And guess what? It's warming. Why not? Because that's the Philadelphian church. It's still alive. Every time you support one of those missionary endeavors to get the word of God somewhere else, guess what? That's the church of Philadelphia, right? If it is to exalt the word of God and to keep the word of God and to protect the word of God and to share the word of God, let me tell you something. My job ain't to save people. My job is to tell the word of God. That's what the Philadelphian church is. is They're the ones that pronounce the word of God. Give the word of God. Testify the word of God. Keep the word of God. And it's the word of God that saves people. The Philadelphian church was the true church. It always has been the true church. It's a church that is commended by Christ and protected by Christ. It is a church that exists today. My question is, is is it your church? Right? Now all of us want to shake our head. Oh yeah, that's our church that's us. But your church is you. Amen. Are you really this sold out believer? Behold, I come quickly, hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, right? When, when the rapture occurs, brother, we're going no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Are you this church? The church that, uh, that, that follows the word of God, that loves the word of God. The Philadelphian church is the rapture church. Hold fast what you got. Don't lose your crown. Last one, verse number 14, church number 7, the letter to the Laodicean church, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Here's what he said, I know thy works. Again, he knows thy works. Now, every other letter that was written when he says, I know thy works, he was referring to their good works. In this letter, he's not referring to their good works. He's referring to the bad works. He said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wast cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to try me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white rain. What's he offering them here? Listen, what's he offering them? He wants them to be saved. Isn't that what he's always wanted? not his will that any should perish but that all should come to repentance what's he want he wants them to be saved he said I counsel you you're lost now you say you're rich remember the Smyrna church that said we're poor but he said you're rich they said we're rich but he said you're poor right and they are rich 
Did you know that, that churches today are some of the wealthiest institutions around? Do you know people, when they die, leave their whole thing to the church? Did you know that they're in business to make money? Huh? What you say churches are? It's what I've heard. Big money. And you know what they say? We're rich. We're increased with goods. As a matter of fact, we can build a $40 million temple. Fly our pastor around on a jet. They say, we're rich. We don't need nothing. The Lord said, oh, I know you are. He said, you are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor. You are blind. You are naked. You have nothing. Spiritual. You have nothing. You may have a full church. You may have a multi-million dollar church. You may broadcast your church's stuff all over the world. But he said, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. I'm going to give you another chance. Because what's going to happen to you doesn't happen to the true church. This church will go through the tribulation. This church is the apostate church. This is the church of unbelievers. Amen. They got Baptists over the door. They got... Methodists over the door. They got who knows what over some of the doors. Amen. They ain't churches. They're called something else. But he said, you ain't a church. You're not the true church. And he said, the apostate church, which also exists from 1800 until now, right? They both exist still today. There's two churches in the end one is going up, the other is not. One is going through the rapture, the other will go through the tribulation. And so he tells them, he said, I counsel you to buy me gold tried in the fire. He gives them an opportunity that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness did not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesight that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chase and be zealous, therefore, and repent. All right? Now, I just told you that the Laodicean church, right, this, this is what's going to happen. At any minute now, the trumpet could sound. The voice of the archangel shout. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, every believer in Jesus Christ, gone. That's how it's going to happen. Gone. Gone. That quick, gone. The Philadelphian church is leaving. The Laodicean church is staying. Now guess what? There are Laodicean people probably sitting among us right now. Amen. They're hearing right now what could happen and in two seconds it may happen and they may be sitting in this auditorium 
You know what I'd say if I was him? He was right. Mm-hmm. Eyes about that big. It was true. Oh, God. Save me. That's what I'd say. You mean you, mean you could get saved? It ain't none of my business. I'm gone. I don't care what you do. I'll be watching from up there. Actually, I don't know if I'm watching or not. I'll probably just be watching him. But you're going to have a problem. Now, I see right here, he's giving you a chance. In, in, in my own ignorance, when I was certainly younger, I, I used to think, hey, once a rapture occurs... You can't get saved. That ain't what the Bible says. That is not what the Bible says. Right here it says it. To the Laodicean church, he said, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. And say, oh, that's just one reference. I ain't even got to the future. He says it again after chapter 4. There you go. Ain't none of my business. As a matter of fact, the purpose of the tribulation is to save Israel, as many of them as you can. Ain't none of my business if he saves a bunch of Gentiles while he's at it. By the way, he's been in the saving business ever since Adam. That's what he does. Why in the world would we think tribulation is any different? The only thing different about tribulation is you're going to die for it. You're going to get your head cut off. You're going to suffer all the plagues and all the vials and all the trumpets and all the bowls and all the stuff that's never happened upon this earth before you're going to go through it. That's right. Amen. But you can be saved. If you don't believe the lie of the beast and the false prophet, who, according to the word of God, said that many would believe the lie and be damned. Amen. Oh, I wouldn't believe it, preacher. You don't know that. They look you in the eye and say, we're going to skin your baby's flesh off their hat if you don't take the mark. They're going to starve to death. You might step right up and say, give me the mark. I can't watch my baby starve. You don't know what you'll do. You also don't know that you'd bow knee to Christ and call upon him as Lord. So I tell you right now, you get saved during the tribulation. The Bible says, he that overcometh. Amen. What we'll learn in the future as we begin to read chapters 4 through 22, what you're going to find there is that over and over we see the blood of the martyrs those that were beheaded for the name of Jesus Christ. I'd encourage you to get saved today, right now. Wait no more days, no more time. Be born again. Call on Christ as your personal Savior. Trust in Him as your Lord. Surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and be forever changed. And here's what you don't have to worry about. When the rapture occurs, you'll be gone. You'll go with the true church. But you must be born again. You must be born again. I don't care what denom- I don't care if you're Catholic or Presbyterian or Baptist. It doesn't make any difference. You die without Christ and you're going to hell. Amen. And if you're living in the period of time when the rapture occurs, 
you're also going through the tribulation. And that's a scary, scary thing indeed. All right. We've got, uh, we got eight whole minutes. Anybody have questions? It's important we know what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He said it clearly. He that hath an ear, you better listen. Because you're one of these churches. And I hope you took inventory tonight and figured out which one you are. Right? You've got to be honest about it. Right? You'll not get there unless you're honest. But if you're honest about this, you'll find yourself in one of those pages. You'll find yourself as a, as a person, as an individual. And at that point, if it's one of those other than Philadelphia or Smyrna, you got something against you. And you better be dealing with that something. You better be repenting. You better be honest about it and turning from it. Because all those churches, he gave them an opportunity to repent. Even Laodicea. He gave them an opportunity to repent. It's not his will that you perish. But be careful that you know you die without Christ. It's hell. There's no other place. God's done everything He can do to make a way for you to be saved. But you've got to receive it. You've got to accept it. Which of these churches are you? You may be the you may be the lost person here tonight. You may be that seventh church. Right? You're not ready to go. You know you're not. You need to get ready. You need to get ready. All right. Somebody with a question, word, comment? Anybody at all? You know what he says in verse 19? As many as I love, I rebuke and chase. Yep. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. All right. We're going to close with these last three verses then. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, here's what I personally believe. I believe at, at, at verse number 19, you can draw a line under 19. And 20, 21, and 22 is a universal invitation to be born again. Listen to what he says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, that's why I believe it's a universal invitation to be saved. Right? I believe I believe verse 19 ends Laodicean church. And I believe the next three verses are Jesus Christ one more time, one more time saying to you, I want you to be saved. That's right. Amen. Amen. Behold, I stand, let me make it personal, at your door and knock if any man hear my voice and open the door I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me there's the invitation would you like to be born he stands at the door and knock he will not bust your door down he will not force your door open the illustrator of this picture drew the door without a handle on the outside. He can't get in your heart. You have to open the door. But he wants to come in. All right? You're not going to get to heaven and say, but you didn't ask me. You didn't want... He wants to come in your door tonight. But you're going to have to open it. You've got to open the door and receive him into your own heart. That's how you get born. To him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I overcame and sat down with my Father in his throne. 
He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You are the churches. Right? Everybody in this room, you are the churches. You may be unbeliever, but you're part of the last church, the apostate church, the church that ain't going up when he comes in the rapture. You're one of the churches. And that's why it's important we know what he said to the churches because that's the now and that's what you need to know right now. What we're going to talk about the rest of the week is going to be what happens in the future. Now, I think we'll be able to prove through Scripture that the church, the church of Jesus Christ, we're out of here. We're raptured. And uh, I believe there's a lot to support that. All right? Anyone else? Lord willing. Yeah. Sunday morning, Bill came pick me up, and we went out to the radio station, uh, which is now an equal to the world we're going to. And that just kind of made me think all the different churches that you drive by going through Eagleton Village just made me think of the seven churches that we just went through right here. They're all different denominations. Yeah. So, whatever you choose that you want to believe, you can go out there. But the true church is only one way. That's right. And there's no denomination attached to that true church. Your denomination won't get you in. Only Christ. Only Christ. Amen. Someone else? Tommy, is it true that during the tribulation there will be no growing spirit? It will just be those people who have learned of Christ before the tribulation? There will be no what? No growing spirit. No spirit. No growing spirit. So, so, no. What it says in, uh, is it Titus? Or is it Thessalonians? Anyway, the scripture that refers to the spirits letting. I mean, that's the one where people think that when the church leaves, the spirit leaves. Well, the church leaves, and when we look into chapter 4, what you're going to see in verse number 5 of chapter 4 is that the spirit's present in heaven then. But it's different. The spirit of God that we experience now will be different than the spirit of God then. It will be more like it was in the days of the Old Testament. The spirit of God was present in the Old Testament. Right? There were many men the Spirit of God rested upon in the Old Testament. It'll be similar to that in the tribulation. Will the Spirit of God be here? Yeah, but he will no longer be holding back sin. What the Spirit of God does upon the face of the earth today is holds back evil. That's what he does right now, is holds back evil. When the rapture occurs, takes his hands off. All hell will break loose. Amen. He takes his hands off. The Holy Spirit of God will let. That's what he says. Is he that will let, will let. He's going to let it go. Now, he'll still be here, and he'll still be doing whatever God telling him to do, drawing if necessary, saving. Right? you got to be saved by the Spirit. That's what he told Nicodemus. So there's no way anybody can be saved apart from the Holy Spirit. So is the Holy Spirit going to be here working? Yeah. But he's going to be doing a different type work than what he is doing today. So, yeah, he'll have to be here or no one could be saved. Because you got to be saved, what he told Nicodemus, was by the Spirit. And they'll have to be saved by the Spirit then. No different. 
But evil will no longer have opposition during that time. It will be turned loose. That's a good question. Somebody else? Nope. All right, 8.30 on the dot. Thank you for coming. We're going to dismiss in prayer. I know some of you can't be back tomorrow. We, um, we'll miss you and hope you can come back on Thursday night. we got a lot to cover. We only made it through three chapters so far. So we'll try to put it in a higher gear as we go into the future. And you say, well, we should just slow down. You know what? I think we can be in a high gear going into the future because guess what? It's out there. And we're going to be up there. And so we don't really know for sure other than what he wrote, what's going to happen. And so what we're going to do is just focus on what he wrote. And we're going to look at the chronological events and how he gave them. Remember, it's very orderly. It's all structured. It's in, it's in groups of sevens. And we're going to be introduced to all the individuals, the personages that will be introduced during the Great Tribulation. You, you got the 144,000, you got the two witnesses, you got the, the beast, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. You got, uh, anyway, that's most of them. So we're going to be introduced to all those, and we're just going to look through chronologically. The first thing we're going to do, and what we're going to attack tomorrow, which is what you get in chapters 4 and 5, is we get a picture of where the church is, right? And so we get a picture of exactly where the church is during the tribulation, and that's wonderful to see. All right, would you bow with us as we pray? Lord, thank you for your grace, for love, for your constant invitation to be saved. We don't know much, but we know this, that you loved us enough to die for us, and so we thank you for it. Help us, we pray, each one of us, to be honest about this truth, to recognize which church we are. And Lord, if, if you've got things against us, Help us to be honest enough to repent and to turn. We want to be the true church. We want to be that church that needed no condemnation. We love you as we ask it, believing as we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.